welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today is part two of our discussion with Vlad Antikarov, and uh, we're going to get into a big topic now, supply chain risk, and uh, a couple of ways you can look at it and try to quantify it, try to mitigate it, understand it. So uh, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. All right, well, we had so much fun before with uh, with Vlad that we're going to actually do a part two about the supply chain. So, uh, Vlad, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me again. Absolutely. So I think we hinted at it a little bit in the last podcast that uh, the supply chain dilemma would be a very interesting topic for risk managers. And uh, so with that in mind... Um, I wanted to kind of jump into that, and uh, we kind of introduced you last time, so I think people remember you. But um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. So let's talk about the supply chain. That's been a hot topic of the last couple of years with COVID. Um, you know, people seeing the impacts of of you know of the supply chain kind of breaking down. Why don't we just start real high level? You know how how would you define the what exactly is a supply chain? You know, is that well defined? Uh, well, uh, before we start, just exactly, let, let's start one more time with the pain uh, before we move to the diagnosis and hopefully the cure. Uh, the last few years, really, uh, you know, the COVID and now the, the war in Ukraine uh, showed how complex uh, the global supply chains are and how unexpected uh, vulnerability exists uh, that reveal themselves only during crisis. Uh, so uh, the impacts, as we all uh, know, uh, were multiple. You know, there were shortages of critical uh, protective equipment and critical medication, and if you remember the ventilators. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, shortages that uh, led to uh, curtailing of operations. But a lot of the things that we didn't see at that time was the incredible price escalation of uh, uh, those uh, uh, supplies that were in short supply, because uh, especially around COVID, because the states bid to buy supplies again each other, and the federal government bid. So uh, this is kind of hidden to the budgets. Uh, but, you know, we as taxpayers overpaid 10, 15 times for many, for many supplies at the time. So I'm, I'm just starting to say the problems are real and the problems are costly. So now back to, to your kind of uh, uh, big picture definition. Uh, in, you know that in one of my presentations, I already cited uh, Confucius kind of, uh, not exactly, but basically saying that calling team, things by their proper name is half the solution. And here we come to the problem with supply chain. Uh, something would be a supply chain if a single product moves from, from uh, let's say, company to company and every company adds only some labor or something else uh the the modern manufacturing is uh you know it looks nothing like that and let's start with a simple example if you look at any uh car that each one of us is driving uh probably if we can list all the components and elements that go into the car they're going to be into the thousands uh so uh, they uh, go through a process of you know, development assembly, uh, sub-assembly uh, to get to the final product. 
and uh, this is definitely not a supply chain. It's, uh, it's uh, if anything, uh, it's a supply network. I was thinking the other day, what would be a nice metaphor? And I thought that probably the most uh, kind of intuitive metaphor would be if we look at a tree, right? If we say that the trunk is the product that uh, uh, a company produces, let's say the car, uh, we can look at these branches that start from very small branches and they, they get together into bigger branches, into bigger branches, into big, and finally the branches that actually go into the trunk. So uh, every modern product, you know, cars, phones, uh, uh, medication, uh, airplanes, uh, everything that surrounds us uh, is actually a final point, is a trunk, a very complex tree like that. Uh, that's why it's very important to understand that uh, if we want to manage the supply uh, structures and, and the results, most importantly, and talk about resilience later, it's very important to recognize that it's not, a, it's not a chain, it's a network, and we have to manage the supply network. Sure, yeah, and, you know, going back to that concept of, of the chain, I mean, if, if there is any kind of chain, you know, I think you you would say it's, it's your most immediate, you know, provider in that, in that in that network to you directly but you know what if there's weaknesses somewhere else in that long network you know how, how do you become aware of that right so the problem the problem with supply chain management so the first problem is obviously it's not it's not a chain it's a network the second problem is it kind of the uh, sort of the objectives of management versus the ability to manage right we understand that from a, a simple uh, kind of contractual uh, point of view, uh, a company or a government agency can influence, can deal only with its direct suppliers in which it enters into supply contractual relationships. Uh, so if we are buying the cars from somebody, we don't know where this car manufacturer is buying the parts and where the parts are buying the metals. And so uh, that's the challenge that from a uh, from a, a managerial leverage point of view, so to speak, we can manage only other like suppliers. From a vulnerability perspective, we're vulnerable to the whole supply chain. And uh, obviously, the weakest uh, link in this supply chain uh, defines the vulnerability of the whole supply chain. Again, I'll bring an example uh, with during COVID. If you remember, at one point, we all start using a lot of masks that was not uh, whatever the 95, I forgot what the letters were there. So there are a lot of companies that starting actually manufacturing masks from a simple uh, like material for like for shirts. And I actually bought some of those. Uh, you know, you understand now that from medical perspective, those uh, masks were hardly effective. But the point was that the materials required to build, uh, again, I don't know if it was C95, uh, were in shortage. So the fact that there were sewing machines and there were workers ready to manufacture masks meant nothing without the material that was required to manufacture them to that standard. The point being that if one of the links in this network is not working and one element of the whole supply, uh, supply portfolio is not available, then many times the rest of the whole system becomes disabled because of the requirements of complementarity. Uh, that's why uh, when we're talking now about supply chain management, especially with audience uh, as a firm, uh, we're kind of talking from a, a point of view of the federal government, kind of looking uh, from above, so to speak, and uh, figuring out whether the federal government can um, 
actually exercise some uh, some of its leverage to really manage the supply chain across multiple layers. Right, and I think it'd be good to clarify too. You know, when we talk about a supply network, we're not talking just about a simple good or a component of a good. I mean, what other things are would you include in that network beyond just the good itself? Right. So, uh, so that that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, so, the one way is to understand that these are goods, right? So, if you if you look at a supply chain, what the supply chain does, it either manufactures moves or stores. Those are the three fundamental activities. Uh, but to perform those fundamental activities, obviously every step of the supply chain has to have the capabilities to perform these activities. So we have to have the trucks and the ships to move things. We have to have the warehouses to store them. Uh, if this is perishable, they have to have the the climate controls. If those are uh, medical, uh, other special requirements. Uh, the manufacturing already requires its own capabilities in terms of machinery, equipment, and, of course, skilled labor. We should not uh, forget about that. So uh, in addition to the purely uh, product connections, we actually have a network of capabilities. We have a network of uh, other resources. And uh, we should not forget that also we have a network of institutional uh, capabilities. Uh, you know, for for me and you to trade, we have to have a common legal framework of contracts. Uh, those contracts have to be recognized. They have to be enforceable. Uh, so there's all this system that has to be in place uh, to make the system work. And of course, not last, we also have to have the the companies or the organizations themselves that are managing this. And that's why I, I mentioned in our previous conversation, there's an interesting company in Virginia, I'm not going to mention their name, uh, that they have collected a lot of information about uh, companies and how they supply each other. And they provide a service where uh, if uh, organization, the company or agency goes to them and tells them they're direct suppliers, then they can go two layers deeper and identify all the companies that are sub-suppliers and sub-sub-suppliers. And sometimes these numbers run into the thousands. That's how complicated supply chains are. Uh, and they monitor these companies and you know can provide some uh, um, kind of red flag, uh, you know, uh, risk awareness for for coming potential shortages. But yes, that, that that's and that's uh, all these things being said are important because they're important, first of all, to identify the vulnerabilities and then uh, to see how they mitigate them. Right. And then just going back to that point about the, you know, the legal environment and all that kind of stuff. I mean, since this is, you know, we're talking about government risk management and government procurement, you know, we definitely see a lot more now where it's very important where the goods originate and, you know, the legal environment or, you know, maybe some of the standards aren't quite up to par with the you know, U.S. standards of manufacture or just how they treat their people, et cetera, right? So you just need to be aware of all those things, uh, those factors in your chain, in your network, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I don't, again, want to, don't want to show examples, but uh, you can see now with, the, unfortunately, the war in Ukraine and the, and the gas shortages of uh, the European Union, uh, there's this big tension, for example, between collective decision versus individual decisions. There are some countries 
that are members of the European Union that are, are uh, you know, they're going uh, it alone with Russia and arranging their own gas supplies, independent of the uh, European Union policy, for example. So those illegal issues, and again, maybe that's not the correct example, uh, but the point being is that uh, we forget because here in the West we take for granted the whole uh, legal infrastructure. Uh, that's not uh, that's not always uh, the case uh, around supplies around the world. And when, especially when we talked about you know rare minerals or other things that sometimes are in very remote, uh, underdeveloped locations, this can become an issue. Absolutely. So my next question is kind of, uh, again, it sounds like a generic question, but uh, the point being, you know, uh, I want to get into some of the deeper analysis that you should really do on this, on your, on your network. Um, you know, so just high level, I mean, wh- what is the purpose of, of managing your supply chain? I mean, obviously you need to get your products and the wrong time and, you know, what are just some of the, the most core requirements for, you know, why do we need to manage this chain? And then, how, you know, how do you do, kind of do the analysis to determine your vulnerabilities? Well, uh, you know, the, the role of the supply chain is to uh, provide the goods and services uh, that are required at a given location, at a given quantity, at a given time, and at a given price. So those are the, the fundamental metrics, you know, location, quantity, uh, uh, time, and price. So we want to have the things when we need it, where we need it, in the quantities we need it, and at an acceptable price that we need them. So uh, to achieve this result, that's the starting point then to look back at the supply chain. And and that's very important. You're bringing me uh, to to something that that, uh, we've developed some interesting methodology we call uh, deep supply chain analytics. So if you uh, start with this end point, right, the goal, and we uh, identify the quantities that, that you desire uh, along these dimensions, then uh, you can apply deep supply chain analytics to identify all the intermediate products that have to be present in the supply network. Again, we keep calling it supply chain. That's okay because it's established in the supply network that have to be available for the final results to, uh, to occur. And uh, in, in, it's very hard to, sh- to do this now on a, on a sound podcast. Uh, these things have to be seen. But you, you, you remember now a preliminary conversation. I show you this very, very simple uh, production system, so to speak, or we can call it supply chain system, where uh, we have a final product and we have three inputs that are required to produce this final product. Uh, but there's a little twist that uh, each of these inputs goes into the final product, but then uh, some of input two is required for input one, and some of input three is required for input two. Uh, you know, a simple example would be electricity, right? Electricity is required in every step of uh, manufacturing and transportation. So it's an input that goes in all the other inputs and then into the final product. And as you remember, uh, even for a very simple system when it comes to input number three uh the intuition totally uh, abandons us and and uh when you, we're asked to estimate how many units of this input three is required uh people are usually off uh i would say at least by 30 percent uh many times by 50 percent 
so uh, that's very important. Uh, so if we, uh, in a sense, do this deep supply chain analytics, then we figure out not only what the final results have to be uh, in terms of the supply, but what all the intermediary results have to be to assure this supply. And then from this analytics, then we can start looking at the vulnerabilities of, uh, of, this, of the system as a whole. And uh, there are two fundamental vulnerabilities of a system. Uh, the system can have bottlenecks and the system can have dependencies. So bottlenecks uh, basically means objective limitations of how the system uh, could perform if it's required to produce more than the current state, or if uh, for some reason, uh, part of the supply chain capabilities uh, get knocked off, you know, some uh, hurricane or some disease or something else. Uh, so if part of the either product, production or transportation or storage capacity is not available, how is the system able to cope? And the second is dependency. So uh, are part of the supply chain capabilities controlled by entities that at one point may decide to, uh, you know, to uh, basically redirect uh, the activities of those elements uh, to other purposes. And uh, again, people forget that during COVID, because a lot of the supplies were coming from China and the Chinese government made a decision that, uh, you know, uh, Chinese manufacturers are going to be prioritized uh, first to, uh, to supply uh, the Chinese market, so to speak. There were similar issues in Europe uh, around the vaccines that the European Union was trying to, at one point, allocate the vaccine on some uh, basis of some logic, whatever medical logic that was. Uh, but many countries, basically, the pressure of the local voters, uh, they start, uh, you know, uh, sending vaccines to their own populations first. Uh, so those are the two vulnerabilities. And uh, then uh, once we understand this, uh, identify those potential vulnerabilities, then the next step is to uh, basically what we do in ERM, develop risk scenarios, which uh, we call supply and demand shocks. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I don't think we need to provide a bunch of examples. I think they're kind of self-explanatory bottleneck. You know, that's a similar concept. You know, you're, if you're on the highway, there's only one exit to get off. Everybody's stuck at the exit they can't get through. Or you're at the loading dock, and there's not enough people to unload your container. There's your there's a bottleneck, right? So, but, you know, if there's any other little examples for those two, you know, maybe you want to throw them out there based on recent events, perhaps. Right. Uh, so, uh, but but again, I wanted to, to move now to the to the shocks. So again, oh, yeah, how how we how, how we how we stress test a supply a supply chain, how we figure out uh, where those uh, vulnerabilities are, and uh, you know a supply chain can have uh, two types of shocks. You know they have they could be demand shocks and they can be supply shocks. What what does that mean? Uh, demand shocks are when we suddenly want to consume a lot more of something that than we have consumed before. And again, you know it's kind of gets tired, but COVID is, a, is an incredible example that certainly there was incredible demand for a whole slew of medical related supplies that everybody wanted to consume in much bigger quantities. The supply shock is when for whatever reason, the system cannot supply uh, the amount that, uh, you know, that has been supplied before. Again, 
bad examples, sad examples, but that's what's going on in Europe now. Europe has been consuming certain quantity of Russian gas over decades, and now suddenly, because of the war, the supplies are cut. So, uh, you know, every news that you read the last few days is how Europe is trying to cope with this supply shock. Uh, it's very important to uh, understand that. Uh, so, so those are the supply demand. And then there's the second um, characteristics. You know, sometimes those shocks are short term. You know, they're like blips. They come and go. Uh, and then uh, sometimes they're midterm and then sometimes they're long term. So they're permanent change in, in, the, in, the, in the level of supply uh, or the level of demand. And, uh, you know, for every uh, organization, it's important to develop scenarios and select the right characteristics of shocks that the institution can experience. Uh, and it's very important that these two interplay. And uh, as uh, many um, hospitals uh, experienced uh, in 2020, they wanted to buy a lot more uh, personal protective equipment but actually, because they were suddenly competing against everybody else, they actually bought less than they bought even in normal years, some of them. So there's a combination of demand shock and supply shock. You want to buy more, but the market is offering you less. So that kind of doubles the stress on the organization. So those scenarios are important uh, so that the organization really understands the vulnerabilities of its supply chain and the likely impact on its own operation and its own ability to pursue uh, its objectives. Right. So I think we've set it up where, so we kind of talked about, you know, how to analyze your supply chain, your supply network, uh, you know, understand all these different inputs, all the different aspects of the chains or the network, um, you know, the kind of vulnerabilities, the shocks that could impact you. So, I think I, you know, let's turn into now, what do we do? We have all this information. How do we actually manage these risks? What are some strategies there? So what? Uh, so, uh, so now that we understand this vulnerability, this risk, the question that is how, how we manage it. Well, this again, depends on, on the leverage that we have. If we are just an institution that can deal directly only with our direct suppliers, uh, then probably uh, our uh, our uh, kind of uh, risk mitigating options are going to be mostly around building additional reserves of supplies so that we can continue to operate in case of shortages. Uh, it probably is around diversifying our supplies across geography, uh, across companies, uh, it's probably is creating uh, they call switching capabilities within the organization. You know, uh, many, uh, for example, many power generating stations they can switch between uh, coal and gas, and they can play the price arbitrage uh, if they have this capability. Uh, but this also uh, requires uh, it can can be used for for mitigating shortages. Uh, there should be also some uh, you know, extra capacity somewhere so that we can switch uh, from uh, one mode of operation to another mode of operation. Uh, so those are the things. They also could be contracts that uh, we have. Uh, they could be kind of uh, contingency-based contracts that, you know, we have the, the, the right of first uh, claim on supplies. 
so we may pay a little more, but in case of emergency, this can be we can be the first in line. So those are the those are the kind of things that can be done uh, from a typical uh, supply chain framework. If we're talking now uh, kind of on a high level from a federal government perspective, then we uh, have the uh, the ability to look at the whole supply chain on the deep supply chain and uh, think about uh, what, uh, what kind of capabilities we want to have where to address both the bottlenecks and dependencies. Uh, and uh, we uh, have now discovered that uh, we've developed a lot of dependence on Chinese imports in critical, and not only Chinese actually, that's not uh, the example that I'm going to give is semiconductors. Uh, turns out that uh, most of our semiconductors uh, come from Taiwan. And uh, for people that follow the news, understand now that there's growing tension between Taiwan and China uh, and the United States. Uh, so actually, uh, right now, Congress, uh, and I'm not 100% up to date, uh, either passed or it's about to pass multi-billion dollar bill uh, for reshoring the production of semiconductors on U.S. soil. Uh, so this money going to be given to companies to build manufacturing uh, capabilities on U.S. soil for production of semiconductors because they're absolutely critical in uh, practically all the other uh, technological uh, manufacturing processes in this country. I also, uh, reacting to the COVID uh, situation, uh, there is a proposed law in Congress, again, I'm not 100% current, that basically demands uh, that uh, the federal agency explore uh, what will be the obstacles for reshoring uh, key uh, medical uh, components uh, for our medical, for our pharmaceutical industry. So there, uh, this effort now on the federal level where basically uh, the federal government has done some analysis and uh, is uh, taking steps to incentivize uh, moving of those capabilities back to your soil. Right, and that kind of points out, you know, some of the real macroeconomic or, you know, just external factors that, you know, let's say you're, you're one agency, you need to procure these particular things, you know, your sources are going to be kind of limited. So, I mean, we're, we're talking here about the U.S. government itself as a whole pushing these big programs and policies to move things back on shore for some critical items. So it's it's a longer-term solution. It's a bigger government solution, right? It's, it's hard to solve at the individual level. Right. It's hard to solve at an individual level. I, I would say that uh, probably it would be a good uh, activity for different agencies who – understand best uh, what uh, kind of supplies enable their mission to do a deep supply chain analysis and figure out their potential vulnerabilities, and then they can uh, kind of inform basically Congress to think about it and maybe uh, propose decisions that will impact them because, uh, you know, uh, in a sense, the agencies can can act as, uh, you know, analytical uh analytical uh, sort of, I don't know, analytical minds for their own problems and bring them to the attention of Congress for potential funding. Right, absolutely. Yeah, especially these key, you know, highly secure, you know, uh, kind of sectors and, 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 and agencies. But 
Well, this has been great. Yeah, right. the time's flown by here, but I think maybe just to, to finish this off here, do you mind just kind of giving us another recap? You know, if you're an agency and you, you're worried about supply chain, you know, what, what what should you do? What's a call to action, you know, high level? What are the steps that you, you recommend agencies take when they analyze this, their, their supply chain? Well, uh, very simply, uh, I would suggest that, uh, you know, even even though we kept using the term supply chain, I, I'm, I'm advocating actually of changing to term supply network. I guess I think this creates on a very basic level the intuition that uh, we're managing a network. Uh, then uh, also to uh, basically look at, at the consumables, uh, so to speak, and then figure out what are the critical elements of those. And then from there, see if the agency can perform some sort of deep supply chain analytics and identify you know what what are the what are the technological steps what are the logistical steps uh you know two three uh, uh elements down the supply network uh where those uh, capabilities reside today who controls them and then from there to also uh figure out what potential uh supply chain risk scenarios they may experience uh, what would be the impact on them, and then from there to see what remedies may be, uh, you know, uh, may be available. Short term, this may be the remedies that I suggested, you know, uh, more storage, multiple contracts, but in the long term, uh, they can elevate this to the attention of the whole federal government and uh, look for a more fundamental uh, supply chain restructuring uh, to build resilience. Absolutely. Well, well, Vlad, I really appreciate you coming on for the second time. This was a great conversation, and uh, I hope we'll have some more podcasts in the future. So thanks again for being here today. Thank you very much. appreciate the invitation. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Affirm.org. That's where you go. Check out all the podcasts, all the other good content have some more coming up for you here soon until then next time this is your host paul marshall signing off for risk chats with a firm